Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into a big show here on Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Very happy to have you ahead of your weekend. Plenty of soccer to talk about around the world. We're going to focus today, I think, with our two guests, two excellent guests. We're going to focus on American soccer a bit. Kind of two sides of the coin, sort of, not really, coming at it from very different angles, certainly. Stefan Szymanski, the co-author of Soccernomics, you know the book. He's been a guest before, has a new column out in which he sort of outlines how MLS, yeah, they're probably losing $100 million. And yeah, they might be in trouble if he's, these costs that he outlines are not uh, keeping pace with the revenue. So we'll talk to Stefan about his theory, about his assumptions on the costs. He does identify that he has an, an insider who's given him some hints. So we'll talk to him about that. It's, a, it's, it's one of those provocative pieces that uh, could get the MLS fan base a little riled up. He calls effectively MLS a pyramid scheme. So we'll talk to Stefan. It'll be a very, very fascinating conversation. That's going to happen in about eight minutes. And then at 1040, Sean Reed, the author of Love Thy Soccer, which is a compendium of American soccer tales from across the spectrum. Sean did years and years of work and interviews and research to put together a massive book that is an attempt to kind of collect all of the elements that make American soccer American soccer. It's a fascinating book. Lots of interesting stories. What I love about Sean's book is you can pick it up, you can turn to any chapter, and you can read that chapter by itself, and it will give you something interesting. You can read it straight through, of course, too. It is a big book. Let, let me just tell you that. It is a very big book. I have a copy sitting on my shelf right here. I'm not sure where it is because I can't really see, but it's over there somewhere. And I'm in the book, and Jared Dubois from the Best Soccer Show is in the book, and lots and lots of other people. Tons of people. He interviewed everybody. So that'll be at 1040. Very much looking forward to talking to Sean about his book and about his theories on American soccer fandom these days. And again, this is uh, not, uh, not two sides of the same coin because I, I'm not saying that Sean is out here saying MLS is the healthiest it's ever been or something. While Stefan says, uh-oh, look at these numbers. But it is a bit of the uh, dichotomy. Of, of where American soccer is. And I think this is something that defines American soccer. I find it very fascinating that American soccer can be both growing and under threat because the way our system works or because we don't have the history or because the money is always in doubt. Should be good. Let's do some headlines here before we grab uh, Dr. Zemanski. Champions League semifinal draw. Barcelona and Bayern Munich facing off in the semis. Juve and Real Madrid. So you've got the Spanish sides split up. So that's a potential Clasico final if those two ta- two teams can get through. Obviously, the, the, the biggest challenge of the bunch the, for, uh, for Barcelona is Bayern Munich, and they get, uh, they get the toughest draw. Well, uh, that depends on how you view, um, how you view Real Madrid in this, in this round. Juve out there being the underdog. I find that fascinating. Arturo Vidal in the press saying, hey, you know what? We're Juventus. We're not going to be afraid of anybody. We're, we're, we can do this. And certainly they, they represent Serie A and Italian football at this point. They've made it this far. 
Excellent for Juve to get this far. Excellent for Italian soccer for Juve to get this far. You also have an Italian team, two Italian teams, excuse me, left in the Europa League. Europa League semifinal matchups done as well. Uh, Sevilla and Fiorentina. The holders, Sevilla, uh, against Fiorentina. And Dinepro against Napoli. Napoli, who had to uh, fight off a challenge from Zenit yesterday to get through. Interesting news out of Europe. FIFA has rejected a call from a body of European legislators to redo the vote for 2022 in Qatar. Now, this is not the first group of people with some power and some uh, profile to call for a revote, but this is a group of people uh, that uh, have some nominal legislative element the parliamentary assembly of the council of europe that's a that's a mouthful they had a debate on thursday uh, and they said that they want a revote fifa has said it has quote no legal obligation for fifa's executive committee to revoke unquote the decision the 47 nation pace i guess that's a, that's a good acronym pace the 47 Nation Pace meeting in Strasbourg, France, agreed to a agreed a revote was justified by quote illegal payments unquote linked to Qatari former FIFA power broker Mohammed bin Hammam. So they're pointing directly at bin Hammam. They're saying, "Hey, that guy who's passing around some illegal money, that means you should have a revote." Of course, FIFA has refused steadfastly refused to back down from this Qatari World Cup. And I've always said, and I'll continue to bang this drum, that if if Qatar is going to lose the World Cup in 2022, it's not going to be over anything that happens with FIFA and the payments and whether or not it was dirty. It'll be over whether or not there's enough international pressure on the country itself in relation to its labor and the dangerous conditions under which an immigrant labor force is working to force FIFA's hand. It's not going to be about corruption because FIFA for FIFA, corruption is the order of the day. It's going to be about that other element, and I don't see enough international pressure at this point. So I don't expect the World Cup to be anywhere but Qatar in 2022. Interest uh, in, in London, excuse me, Spurs, who are planning a new stadium, have reportedly had talks with the NFL about putting a franchise there. Uh, we've talked about this before, the notion of NFL, the NFL being in London. I don't like it. I don't know how, how people in London feel. Clearly, there's a lot of NFL fans in the U.K., who might be drawn to that team. If Spurs feels the need to find another tenant for their new White Hart Lane facility, I guess the NFL would certainly bring in some bucks. They're also looking at making this a multi-use venue. And this is going to be the order. This is going to be the way things are now. You can't spend a billion dollars on a stadium and then only have it host one type of event. You're going to have to put on many, many different types of events. I think this is obviously... Why the new Wembley is used for concerts and rugby and everything else. Because they have to justify their cost there. The same is going to be true of Tottenham Hotspur. Another stadium project may be in jeopardy. I'm not clear on the details here, but this is interesting. Out of Orlando, broke a couple days ago. Mayor Buddy Dwyer of Orlando has said that the stadium project could be delayed if they cannot find a $30 million bit of funding that the Florida Florida legislature legislatures legislate can't say that word has not approved to this point construction was expected to accelerate as soon as next month for the new home of the of Orlando City but Dyer and the team acknowledged Wednesday that if the funding doesn't come to this session 
and this session ends in May and doesn't come back around until the beginning of 2016, the project would stall. Now, at this point, if you're short 30 million bucks and you've got Flavio da Silva owning the team and he's, I think he might have 30 million bucks lying around or he could finance 30 million bucks privately. Uh, perhaps he should step up to the plate and get this done. We all want new soccer stadiums in the United States and they are important to the growth of the game here. They are the roots that allow the rest of the tree to grow. But unless these private owners want to step up to the plate and build these stadiums themselves without the host of funding rounds and tax cuts, people are going to have a problem with it, especially in this political climate. Uh, maybe up to Silva, De Silva to take care of this. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Stefan Szymanski will join us. We'll talk about the economics of Major League Soccer. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on the show talking now to Stefan Zemanski, co-author of the book Soccernomics and economics professor at the University of Michigan. Stefan, it's good to have you back on the show. Very nice to be back, Trevor. Uh, well, Trevor's my producer. I'm Jason. Oh, sorry, I understand. It's sorry, okay. It, I, I, it's perfectly fine. Um, I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad. To, uh, it, it's, it's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll recover. I promise. Uh, it's, mm. it's good to have you, uh, Stephen. Uh, you obviously have uh, gotten a, a new round of attention uh, in relation to your uh, your analysis of MLS um, with your most recent piece over at your website, and and there is. I think for a lot of MLS fans who are seeing this, I mean, there's obviously this uh, emotional reaction, and you and I have talked about that before. If we can get past that emotional reaction, I do think it's important for MLS fans to consider what you're saying. Uh, can you just outline for us your briefly? Very, I mean, obviously, it's a much it's an in depth piece with a lot of numbers moving around. Sure, but uh, very briefly, what you see from the you know the the ledger of MLS soccer at this moment. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, I, MLS say they're losing money, and uh, they put out a figure of losing more than $100 million a, a year. And I, I was just doing really more or less back-of-the-envelope calculations, and I, I tend to agree with them. I, think that's, I don't think they're uh, lying about this. I think, I think that's the truth. And, and the question then is, well, how do you get – what's the business model? How do you get from here to the future? And um, what I've always – I've argued that – it's not going to become profitable. It's, there's no way they're going to turn these losses into profits in the long term. Um, and what? Um, uh, and but I think I think MLS is probably going to be fine because I think owners in MLS, like owners in football clubs around the world, will actually be prepared to sustain losses over the long term for the glory and the, yeah. the status that it brings. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of Americans disagree with me. They say no, America's different. Owners have to make money. And which, if that's really true, if owners have to make money then i believe mls will collapse uh, i think people are wrong about when they say that owners have to make money but if they if you really believe that's true right. then that's yeah fine. certainly that, that that's the caveat in your argument that's where everything hinges and i think that obviously the close of your piece is a little provocative in the sense that you say if this is true 
MLS will collapse probably sooner rather than later. But if MLS owners are, as you said, willing to uh, to take these hits and own a sports franchise or a club or however you want to describe it, certainly in MLS it's one piece of a larger single entity pie, then then everything should be fine. Um, and that's a matter of, of philosophy. We'd have to poll the owners. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to that. Uh, from, but from what you've seen in, in terms of their actions to this point, do you believe that they are willing to, hey, look, you know, I own this team. It's, it's for the glory. It's for the championships. It's for the trophies. And I'm okay if I'm in the, in the red a little bit. Well, I, I, so I, I mean, obviously, I think we've seen we, with MLS, we've seen a checkered history, haven't we? We've seen initial expansion, then some contraction uh, because um, presumably because owners in those cases were not prepared to take the losses. And obviously, last season, we saw the end of Chivas. And um, then uh, now, but then in the last 10 years, we've seen um, you know, uh, 10 new expansion teams uh uh, coming in Mm -hmm. and clearly those people what are they calculating on and I I mean I think they're they're looking at this and saying I think they're making a very broad calculation saying um, soccer is going to be big in the United States and I want to be a part of that Um, and that that could have value to me and my business empire how it will have value to them I don't know that they've figured out entirely yet. And I think some of them think they're going to make a quick profit on mm. franchise appreciation. And I think those people are going to be ultimately disappointed. Uh, but I think some people are going to be there saying, no, you know, um, as long as we don't lose too much and as long as this is, there are synergies with our other businesses, then I'm prepared to keep on feeding the beast for, for a little bit longer uh, or, or maybe for considerably longer to, um, you know, just, just to be part of this roller coaster ride. Well, how, how did, how did franchise appreciation figure into your calculation as to the, the the health of Major League Soccer? Because again, you sort of you sort of said it there. Owners sometimes buy these teams. Certainly, this has happened in in England and in other places. They buy these teams without the notion of making money initially, or even over the next couple of of seasons or years. But with the the idea that I can improve the value of this and then sell at a profit five, ten, fifteen years down the road. Right, and I, I mean, I think I, 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 I would, I haven't carried out any detailed forecasts of what franchise appreciation will be in this market, but I don't believe it will be great, and that's one of the reasons why part of you know in the in the in the in, in my blog piece, what I actually start off by saying is there has been no evidence of significant appreciation across the, the 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 soccer world in in Europe where we have had and and the the evidence I think the best evidence of that is based on the clubs that were floated on the stock exchange and there have been a lot of clubs mm-hmm. floated on the stock exchanges in Europe and I think apart from Manchester United the, the returns are are negligible and there are plenty of cases of for example um, uh, floated clubs uh, stock, listed clubs on the stock exchange actually going into insolvency proceedings. Now, I think there's a problem here in MLS in the sense that, and this is where I made, again, another provocative comment about pyramid schemes, is that we've seen successive franchise being sold for for higher and higher values, which is a benefit to the existing members of the league because they get a share of those those payments, and, and that adds up to um, half a billion dollars in the last decade, so it's not it's not nothing. Um, 
but that that if 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 people are doing this on the basis that this appreciation will continue, then the evidence from the rest of the world suggests that there's the the, the scheme will collapse ultimately, um, and that would be bad news. And then and then we would see if the people in who had invested in this were as many people say just in it for the money and then they would walk away uh and and uh, the 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 league will collapse or if if i'm right and actually they 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 are uh, prepared to sustain losses then uh we'll see a readjustment but then the league will sort of will sort of limp on somehow look all of these and, and i'm not the economics uh, guy obviously you are in fact math is not my strong suit but i can logically connect some things and certainly television money is is a major factor in the, the growth of MLS and the value of the teams and, and what the future of the league will be is the, is the improved television contract, which, yes, is a, a drop in the bucket when compared to a lot of, uh, a lot of leagues around the world domestically. Is that, is that a sign of anything for you, and does that indicate that, that MLS has a value that is maybe overvalued right now with, the, with a, 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 an eye on the future, and then when they get to the end of that contract, they may not have been to they may not in retrospect they may not have liked that deal uh well i i, I mean it remains to be seen what the audiences are going to be i mean the, the figures this year are not that encouraging so far but i mean and certainly unless we see significant increases in viewership i think uh i, th- I don't think the broadcasters are going to be pleased with what they're going to get again part of the problem here is you know the premier league signs three-year deals and they've seen the last two deals they've seen 70 percent appreciation in the value from a very high base i mean what we're seeing in in mls is you know a, a you know a relatively small contract 10-year contract so we're not going to see um uh, there's, there's no potential whatever for improvement in the national TV contract until 2023, and yet um, Don Garber says he wants this to be one of the world's top leagues by 2022. Yeah. So again, uh, I get come back to the the fundamental point about this is this can only become a major uh, a league in glo- in a global sense if there is far higher spending on players yeah. if the if MLS has an, a fraction of the world's talent which is um you know w- which is significant and w- again that's going to require money and where's that money going to come yeah. from everywhere else in the world that money comes from tv contracts mm-hmm. um but there's no prospect of an increase in the national contract until um for another 8 years i, I want to come back to this because i want to i want to ask if we can maybe drive a wedge between don garber's comments and w- the stated aspirations of mls and the and the actual elements of it because i'm i'm not i i also don't like what don garber says in relation to that if they're not going to go spend the money and I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that but there are some questions from from people out there whether or not you factored in the element of soccer united marketing which we know is the marketing firm spun off by mls in order to help bolster the league's coffers it, it's treated as a separate entity it may not be included in the loss figure that that league executives are giving out especially during an, a, a labor negotiation which we know stefan from history is going to uh, create a situation where not everybody is is talking straight. 
I mean, I, I mean that, that's clear. I mean, one of the, a lot of the responses to to what I've written have been to say, well, for example, they people say things like, oh, hundred. They say they're losing a hundred million. Uh, yeah, you don't believe that. They said that for the labour negotiations, and that was just that was just talk. And 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 I, I understand that argument, and and there may be there might be some truth in it. I I don't know. Um, but on the other hand, I think that's going to cut all ways. If they, I mean, really, what people are saying is they're lying. They're, they're not telling the truth about losses. Well, if they're not telling the truth about losses, who's to say they're telling the truth about revenues as well? I mean, who's to say that they're telling the truth about how many, uh, about stadium attendance, for example, which is, you know, again, that's not an well, independently audited figure. Um, who's to say they're telling the truth about um, ticket prices? I, I think, you know, again, if they're overstating uh, losses in order for, to have, uh, to improve their negotiating position in bargaining, then they might be overstating attendance in order to make the league look better in people's sure. eyes. And sure. just, well, so, I, you know, I, I, my own view about this is, you know, I, I mean, this is, I, I was conducting a sort of a hypothetical analysis, which is, it should, as I state clearly in the piece is approximate. I'm trying to get some sense of what the economics of this looks like. And I'm particularly interested in where the revenue growth is going to come that's going to make this more profitable in the future and generate the, the, the money to pay higher wages to make it a, an internationally competitive league. And um, I think the only you have to you have to you're going to have to make um, a legion of assumptions in order to do that. Right. And, and I think a very basic assumption you're going to have to make is you're going to have to believe that people whose figures you use, they're telling you the truth. Because if well, you don't believe that, right. then... Uh, well, clearly, clearly, look, everybody, it's it's, uh, it's the data that comes in, I mean, the data that comes out is only as good, the conclusion that comes out is only as good as the data that comes in. And we know that MLS is notoriously secretive with these things. Their books are closed. And I, and you know, just for, for what it's worth here, and I'm not criticizing the exercise that you went through, but in the aftermath of, of your piece hitting the internet, I was told by a, a league official, by someone attached to a team, that your assumptions were way off. Now, I don't, he didn't give me any other numbers. I don't know what the differences <laughs> sure. might be. Well, I actually ran this by the league. I mean, I, I, I sent this to them and they responded. They, they were, I, I listed all my, all my figures and they went through them one by one. And they, they confirmed the figures that they said were, were that they confirmed some figures. So they confirmed uh, attendance. They confirmed average ticket price and they confirmed losses. And then they just said about everything else, well, um, we don't disclose this. And they didn't say, oh, oh, and by the way, you haven't included some, you haven't included car parking, and so on. So, I mean, in that sense, I mean, if, if, you know, if they're now saying, well, this is not accurate, they, they, they had the opportunity and they could have set the record straight and, and they chose not to. So, um, that's down to them. Um, but what I, what I would say is, you know, I, I clearly, I mean, people are right to say that there are some potential sources of revenue that I haven't included. It's also true to say that there are some potential sources of costs that I haven't included. Sure. Yeah. It, this is an imperfect exercise, and and I, I mean, it's. I think it's. It, sh it ought to be obvious to any sensible person that um, it's not claiming to to be a, f a full audit. Uh, you know that such as an accountant might conduct. But here's the point: where in these extra revenue sources that I haven't covered, where how is that going to pay for wages to turn this into a competitive league on a, in a global sense? Right. I mean, people say car parking. Well, seriously, do you really think you could finance the level of wages that are being paid in Europe out of car parking? 
I just think that's no. fanciful. I, I, I wanna, I, I'm glad you brought us back to that because I, I, I do want to separate out the league's statements on that front and what Don Garber, the message Don Garber has been sending over the last, it's, it's probably been two, two years or more yeah. since he started in on this rhetoric of, of we want to be one of the best leagues in the world by 2022. I fail to see how that's possible. Um, I don't know that that means I want to criticize him for saying it, but at some point you have to put your money where your mouth is, and and they're clearly it's not even that they don't they they're not doing that stuff, and is that they they're incapable of doing that. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, they're they're running a business and they want to put their best foot forward and say say the best thing they can. I mean, I, I'm I'm again, I'm not trying to criticize MLS. I'm I'm just saying that you know, based on the facts that we have, there's and based on and certainly based on my knowledge of how soccer markets work around the world and you know that's this is that's really what i study i've been doing this for 25 years so to me just looking at it there's a fundamental inconsistency mm. this 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 does not really stack up unless unless you and you know and and i i would say you know that the problem i mean the the more detailed problem or the more fundamental problem is that this will never become truly major league unless there is substantial spending on wages and to do that that will never happen on a basis which is profit generating for the average franchise i just i just don't think that's possible so then the question is well how do you turn it into a major league because i i certainly believe that the united states is capable of sustaining a globally competitive soccer league don't get me wrong on that i think this country has every potential to be just as big as any league in europe but you need to have a business model that is consistent with that ambition, and I just think the single entity model that they've got is really the way they or the way they're operating at the moment. It just isn't consistent with that uh, objective. Sure, and, and single entity is obviously a, a point of contention for a lot of people, even fans of the league, because there there's a, a notion that it's the shackles that are holding the league back. There's also for for somebody who's more pragmatically inclined, or certainly remembers a time when when uh, Major League Soccer didn't exist, or American Soccer couldn't get its act together to maintain a league, it's seen as a safety net. Is it somewhere in between for you? Is it again, if they take the shackles off and they start spending on a level that's going to make them globally competitive, they're going to be heavily in the red, Stefan. Oh, absolutely. And well, so, so the way I would start is this: so the, the, as as a model for building a globally competitive league. Um, I would say the single entity model has failed in the sense that, you know, we're 20 years into this time. It's not a short period of time. 20 years is not, you know, I teach students who weren't alive when MLS started. I mean, that's that, you know, you can't say that this is, um, uh, you know, uh, this is such an incredibly new phenomenon that it that it really is. is it's just a startup. It's not a startup anymore. It's 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 got some track record. Um, and it's and as I say, I don't see I cannot see, um, say, before it before uh, the, the negotiation of the next broadcast contract, which is really the next opportunity for a significant revenue growth, in my view, that's 2023. Before then, it's not going to reach that. I mean, their, their target of 2022 is, is completely unrealistic. So, so really, we're talking actually probably in terms of, of the league in 30 years, the single entity model has not delivered. So what's the alternative? Well, I, I, again, I, I would uh, say that the, 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 the model that works in the rest of the world will ultimately work in the United States. And that model is a model in which 
um, very rich individuals uh, get involved in running these clubs because of the status and image that they, they bring to people. Um, uh, and and um, somebody on, on my blog was just, uh, just wrote today saying, saying the, the problem with this guy, he's just an economist, he doesn't understand the politics of this, and you know, if only he understood that, then he'd understood that the access and political influence that being in the league brings you is worth every penny that they spend. And, and, and I, found that, I found that quite amusing because actually I've been writing that for decades. Right? That's <laughs> absolutely right. It does bring you political influence and status that is worth a lot of money. It's actually very valuable. So, right. But then you have to let, and then the point is, then you have to let the shackles off. You have to take the shackles off the owners and stop this, this pretense that, that we're going to have a balanced competitive league and actually let the big teams have you know, uh, ambitious investors who want to build a name for themselves by owning a major league soccer team. And if you do that, I think you will see it grow. You won't see the owners make money, but my view about that is, so what? Owners yeah. don't make money anywhere in the in the soccer world, so why why should the U.S. be different? It, well, I, that brings us to I believe one of your uh, one of your pet issues, and certainly something we've talked about before, and that's the American exceptionalism when it comes to this sport and any sport for that matter. And you you again coming back to the beginning, uh, full circle here, the crux of the argument, the crux of your of your provocative close that. Uh, if this if this one fact is true, MLS may fall may fall apart sooner rather than later. Is that uh, the owners care about profits at this point? And then again, it's it sort of it's sort of tied into whether or not the fans want this to be need this to be a league that is globally aspirational, or if, if we should be. I'm not saying content here. Certainly, growth is always the goal, Stefan. But I look I look at this league and I go, you know what? This isn't. It's not bad. It's not. It's not a disaster. It's got brand new stadiums. There, most of them are full uh, every weekend. There's the game is on TV. I can watch whatever I want via the internet. Why? Why should I be overly concerned whether MLS reaches that 2022 target or not? Well, actually, yeah. I mean, you raise a very good point there, and I and I I, I agree. I agree with what you just said. I mean, of course, of course, one could say. I mean, this is there's nothing there's nothing terrible about MLS, and it's not. Um, I mean, and, and the fans of them. I mean, the be- the best thing about MLS, it seems to me, are actually the fans. I mean, it has wonderful. Um, committed following. And I was, again, I was saying this to somebody else. You know, I think one thing that strikes me about MLS is that, that, that around the clubs, there is building this kind of community feel, which is really, you know, which is what Europe, which is what, which what makes clubs so strong in Europe and South America. I mean, that's the real core strength of soccer as a sport, that, that soccer teams in the globally represent their local community. And, I see Americans buying into that and and becoming a part of that, and I think it's great. And I think it's um, and, and I don't think and I don't think it's just uh, Major League Soccer. I mean, I think you see that in the NASL. I mean, I'm I've been just I've been really impressed by my my local team, Detroit FC. You know, I think I think they're you know I think it's fantastic what's going on. So I think I you know and and, and as people say, soccer is definitely on the rise in the United States. It's a growing. Um, a popular sport and the model that's being developed here is fantastic so um so i i think i think you're right to say we could just stand back and say this is this is fine um and and so I, I I don't have a problem with that. What I would say is though, but but let's not kid ourselves that this is going to become globally competitive under this business model. Mm. And yes, if you if you if you took my view and said, well, take the shackles off and let them do what they want and take away all the protections, um, 
Yeah, it might all collapse. So that that's that's certainly possible. Yes. I mean, it's, after all, I could be wrong. So, <laughs> that, right. that is a possibility. No, no, so, none of us. So, are... so, so, if you want to be conservative and you want to, if you want to avoid taking risks, then certainly, why not? Why not leave it as it is? I mean, right. I, I don't have a problem with that argument. Yeah, none of us are working with a crystal ball here. I, I, I think, I think there, and I've actually written on this, not from an economic standpoint, but certainly from a philosophical standpoint. That it seems to me that. The notion that MLS can be a top league by 2022 may on some level be predicated on the idea that the rest of the world is going to come towards MLS rather than MLS progressing in that direction. And and from what you say, I don't think that you believe that that's going to be the case. And, and so in other words, is there going to be a, an unlimited supply of, of very rich individuals or consortiums who are willing to put the money up to keep European soccer in the same model and moving forward in the same way that it has been. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, there will be. And not only that, it's not just that. I mean, I'm I'm off to um, I'm off to Beijing um, next month uh, to talk to um, to talk to people there because the president of China has decided that they need uh, to host the World Cup. Yes. And to host the World Cup, they need to have a globally competitive league. Um, I was in Tokyo last week, uh, two weeks ago, talking to the Japanese about development of the J League. I mean, not and and you know. We all know what's going on in the Gulf and the amount of money that's kicking around there. It's not just, I mean, Europeans are totally obsessed with their football teams, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And if you want to give, have status in Europe, putting vast sums of money into the football clubs will continue to be the way in which you do that. And there were plenty of people prepared to do it. Plus, there are there are now, there is going to be an increasing supply of uh, billionaires from places like China and the Gulf who will be putting money into football clubs. So to think that the money the money go round is going to collapse anytime soon that is I'm sorry I think that's incredibly wishful thinking. I think the point is that there are lots of billionaires around the world who would love the chance to spend a fortune to blow a fortune in the United States on building a team. I think there would be, if you said to it, you know, uh, and we want to think about what's happened in Europe. I mean, where is the, where is the big money come from in England? It's not come from English billionaires. No, I don't no. think England has a billionaire anyway. <laughs> um, it's come from Roman Abramovich. Yeah. It's come from Sheikh Mansour. It's yeah. come from outside of the country. The success of the Premier League has been its openness to international investors who, still lose a lot of money in the process. Uh, right. Uh, but you, now you've identified a situation where, and, and there certainly will be people in England, and I know you know this, who will argue that some of that has damaged England's grassroots game. I, I don't want to open up that can of worms. It's a long, it's a long discussion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a but, bit, yeah. It's a, I mean, I, just but. Just briefly, I don't agree with that. Okay, point. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. And, and you, you did reference NASL, and that's, that's that may be... Um, th that may be a, 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 an element here that we're not accounting for. Certainly, I haven't mentioned it. And before I let you go, do you think, uh, just what you know on the NASL model, which is obviously much more open than MLS, do you believe there's an opportunity for them to capitalize on those people who might be interested in the, in the American market? Because, or, or is the fact that MLS holds first division status and is nominally the much more high-profile league an impediment to that? I, I think it is. I mean, it's certainly an obstacle that they need to overcome. I mean, after all, I mean, let's face it. I mean, NASL is is still relatively small compared to to MLS. So, so in that sense, I think it's I think it's a it, that that's a big ask. But I think again, I mean, this is a rapidly growing market, in my view. I mean, the the, the expansion here. I mean, it's when I mean it's 
the expansion of, of MLS franchises that we're seeing is actually a response to growing demand for soccer in the United States. Mm-hmm. And one thing, one thing we know about the franchise model, the, the single entity model, is across all the major leagues, is it results in an undersupply of teams. So, I mean, there are more cities that want an NFL team than there are NFL teams. Right. There are more major league baseball teams than, um, that, that cities would like to have than there are in MLB. So, in that sense, you know, MLS is under supply franchise, so that, that does create an opportunity for people outside of MLS to build up um, soccer markets uh, uh, nationally and create a, a highly competitive league. As I say, a long way to go in, mm. from, from the NASL perspective, but I certainly believe there's potential there. Yes, definitely. Stefan Szymanski, economics professor at the University of Michigan, co-author of Soccernomics, uh, talking about his most recent piece on the economics of MLS. It's a fascinating read. Whether you end up agreeing with Stefan at the end or not is sort of beside the point. He's working with uh, the information that, that he has available, that we have available. This is, a, this is a league that chooses not to disclose, disclose these things, and it is still a fascinating discussion. Stefan, I very much appreciate your time. It's good to have you back. Perhaps we'll talk again in the near future. Thank you very much, Jason. There, there you go. There goes Stephanie. There you go. <laughs> Let's take it. I got it. You got it this time. Let's take yeah, a break. We'll, when we come back, we're going to talk to Sean Reed, author of Love Thy Soccer, the biggest American soccer booster I know. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on the show on a Friday, on the line with me now, Sean Reed, author of Love Thy Soccer. The fan rewrites the book on the American game. It's, uh, I called it a compendium, Sean. Would you be uh, okay with that, uh, that terminology? Sure, definitely. <laughs> uh, I have enough syllables to support the number of pages in the book. Uh, it's definitely a long read, so I, I certainly don't recommend anyone sit down at one time to, to finish it. Well, I mean, I'm sure some people have done it. I mean, it's uh, again, it's a it's a large swath of America. It's a, it's as, as wide a swath, I suppose, as you could possibly get into one book. Um, we just had Stefan Zemanski on the on, on the show. I, I know you uh, listened to that interview, and I think it's interesting to consider. Some of his notions and him being a, 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 you know, being a Brit and not having been raised here, his notions of this American idea of exceptionalism on a lot of fronts, on the ownership front in MLS, on the way fans are, on the desire for parity. Do you, when you listen to someone like Stefan Zemanski talk, and clearly he's an authority on the economic elements of the game, do you get the sense that he fully understands exactly what the American soccer scene is all about? Yeah, actually, I, I agree a lot with what. Dr. Samansky was saying. I mean, he supports his local club, uh, Detroit City, which is which is excellent. I agree with him about 2022 being a fairly arbitrary date uh, for MLS to become uh, the best league in the world. Um, but th- there's a lot of definitions behind what that means, which we still haven't really come to a consensus on as, as fans. And I, I really don't think even nationally the league has given much uh, specificity as to what that really means. Uh, but uh, as far as his argument, I think that single entity, at least for us, for me as a fan where I sit, it has been successful, you know, at least in terms of sustainability, 
uh, keeping teams around for more than 10 years, more than five years. Uh, we are competitive globally in terms of our entertainment value, affordability, uh, ticket prices, for example. Uh, our parity is second to none. Uh, there's an excitement and uh, certainly a rhythm game day experience, which I think is just as exciting to watch both in the stands and uh, on television once you start to understand what's here and once you start to follow the teams here. You know, I, I think so much of what MLS is is based on, you know, events of 1994, events of 1995, events of 1996 when the league started, that there really was a sense that we got to get this right. We can't risk something that's going to die in 10 or 12 years. We have to put as many safety nets in place as possible. And here we are 20 years later wondering if it's time to remove those safety nets and I think that's that's probably about right. I mean, uh, you know, Stefan Szymanski says that this isn't a new league anymore. It's not a startup anymore. 20 years is a full generational turn. And yet I still feel as though MLS has yet to fully mature. Well, I, I think that really depends on on what kind of barometer we're, we're using for success or, or even maturity. I think that we... We grow every year, and I'm not a league apologist, but I'm certainly not a, a you know, a diving rule homer. I'm, I'm as critical as, as a lot of fans out there that, that see a lot of room for improvement in some of those areas that have been frequently discussed when it comes to the league's inadequacies. But I, you know, uh, the, the one thing I, w- I would say that Samantha doesn't do when he talks about sustainability, at least in terms of the economic side of it, uh, I don't think his argument really accounts for the fact that many of the owners themselves are fans. You know, Drew Carey, Rob Heidemann, Merrick Paulson, uh, Rollins, and Sylvan Orlando. Adrian Hanauer put a lot of his own money year after year into Sounders, you know, in, when they were existing in the lower division, excuse me, before they moved up to NLS. And there is a sig- significant element to incremental growth, which I think needs to be accounted for. I think mm-hmm. that's one thing that single entity has succeeded at very well. And I think that that's something that we need to keep in mind as soccer fans that you're not going to see rapid overnight change. Uh, we're certainly in a better spot now, 20 years after the fact, than we were back in 95, 96, when the league was getting off the ground. I can only imagine what it would look like in another 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to think about incremental growth and not be looking at radical change in terms of taking up training wheels or, mm-hmm. or, or flying without a safety net. These things are very real, and we do need to take those into account when we're being critical. But we do have to remember that many of these owners have been putting their own time and money into this project, maybe not specifically to get something out of it financially, but because they enjoy it. They're fans themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I put I put a lot of time into a book that will never make the New York Times that seller list. You know, you do your podcast. There's There's projects like this throughout the nation by fans like us that just basically start this from from nothing. And we do it for no other reason other than because we love it. Yeah. And until economists can measure that metric of love, you know, I don't know how we can come to any substantive uh, or accurate predictions on the future of our game, uh, especially if they ignore the overwhelming and tangible evidence that we're seeing today. Well, I, I, look, I, I don't think you can take the, the cultural in, you know, impact, the cultural, in, uh, how ingrained MLS is, or sorry, MLS soccer in general is in the culture out of the equation. I know you know this. You've written a book from the fan perspective that covers everything that you possibly could. 
and and I think what we're seeing here is a progression from and I'll go back to the original NASL. Most of those people were entrepreneurs. Very few of those people loved the game for the sake of the game itself. Even the uh you know even the owners of the the New York Cosmos were in it for the glitz and the glamour. Uh you fast forward to 1996, MLS signs up a bunch of guys who you know, I think that their love of the game should come under question. I'm not sure that Robert Kraft's taking in some soccer every weekend. And here we are sort of in a transitional phase where now we've got fans who owns, you know, fans of soccer who own these teams, and yet they're not the richest individuals. They're not the billionaires who can push the league in the direction of being among the best in the world by 2022. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe in another 20 years we do have guys who, who have, you know, much more money available to them willing to invest it and that's you know that is the thing that pushes mls to a, another level and that's where i think Samantha does get it i mean he's an economist as well as a fan himself and i think that in order to meet that expectation you do need to have some kind of demand and the more that the game grows organically through initiatives like i said like like independent content like yours or national team support that's getting a lot of mainstream public exposure it's going to basically push them in that direction. So they have to meet that demand. They need to build their own stadiums. And I think in the course of that, they become fans themselves. At least I'd like to think they would. And, and we see a more kind of hybrid organic growth with, you know, obviously the entrepreneurs that want to see some financial return on their investment. We're talking to Sean Reed, author of Love Thy Soccer. It's, uh, it's a great book. Go pick it up. Where can, the, where can people get the book, Sean? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, the second edition uh, just came out uh, last month. It's the one with the blue cover. Ooh. So uh, just go to Amazon, look for the one with the blue cover. There's a digital version as well, but the latest one is uh, the blue cover edition, 26 bucks on Amazon. Let's, uh, let's turn to the U.S. Open Cup, Sean. I know this is a, okay. a topic near and dear to your heart, as it is a lot of, a lot of people. I mean, this is uh, a tournament that waffles between or, or the spectrum runs between we need to push this, this needs to be bigger, this has so much potential, and I flat out don't care. And that's soccer fans who flat out don't care. I, what are your thoughts on, on the U.S. Open Cup, how, how U.S. soccer can do a better job with this? And maybe, look, if we're going to talk about this tournament, we might as well talk about tweaking it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm all for it. I like the discussions that we've been, have, uh, we've been having, and I think that, that fans uh, really uh, are responsible for, for some of the uh, added uh, well, I don't know, exposure, uh, that the, that the cup has been seeing, at least online and, and social media. Uh, but it is really up to the fans at this point to do more with it. Uh, we're not all Josh Hackler. We haven't devoted a lifetime to, uh, you know, building a website and support and coverage of, of the tournament. Josh Hackler runs, uh, the cup.us. Um, but what I would like to see is something I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet is why not have Josh's side, the Open Cup side, team up with American Outlaws, which has 30,000 members uh, nationwide, and get modest sponsorship from independent outlets like like Soccer League, American Soccer Now, Yours of Back Heel, World Soccer Talk, you know, throw in a couple of corporate sponsors like a fantasy sports side, mm-hmm. offer a nice token prize package, and build a bracket and see what happens nationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is a demand that would be fostered by fans that are getting involved it's just building a bracket, something simple, you know, for a modest cash reward. And you see that underground movement kind of take hold year after year it grows. And then U.S. soccer as a corporate entity is, is, is kind of, their hand is kind of forced to either jump on board and take it to another level 
or or to do something on their own to uh, to promote the the tournament even more. I, I get frustrated that it doesn't get more exposure, even in the most minimal sense. Uh, when I was writing my book, I, I was trying to put scarves in the uh, uh, every other page, basically, both uh, fan and club scarves to basically show a timeline of the game, you know, like, uh, scarves are a way that fans communicate about the game. And, and I was talking to uh, U.S. Soccer about a scarf that I got from uh, a collector that had um, celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Open Cup. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, that's not our scarf. You can't use it. <laughs> they came out of Salt Lake. Well, I said, you guys have any other Open Cup scarves or any kind of memorabilia about this? I mean, it's in its centennial, anything that I could use. They said, no, we don't make anything like that. I said, this is the oldest professional tournament mm-hmm. for soccer that we have in this country. You know, one of the oldest in the nation for any sport. And you guys didn't even put out a scarf or any kind of memorabilia to celebrate this. And this is, this is kind of mentality we're dealing with. They're so nationally team focused that I, I feel that Open Cup gets short trips. So let's put it on the fans. Let's get some reputable sources behind it and, and, and build something on our own that basically compels them to action and really promotes the game even further. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of uh, uber-rich fans who step up and put their money into the game, whether they own a team or whatever, th- that's, <laughs> I feel like the Open Cup needs a benefactor, Sean. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I, I, this is a pipe dream here. But we need like Warren Buffett to take an interest in the Open Cup, dump a bunch of money into it, more and more into the marketing side. And, and as you said, sort of building a grassroots interest through something like a bracket challenge, but also just to, you know, maybe up the prize a little bit, get, make it more worthwhile for, for these teams to start taking it more seriously. I, I understand that travel and, and schedule congestion is a problem for every uh, professional team in this country, certainly in an MLS an NASL level, but come on. Like, th- there's got to be some other way here. I hear you, brother. I mean, I just think it's something that has to be grown at the grassroots. If you want to throw more corporate money or prize money into it, you know, from the top down, that's great. You know, I think it'll compel more teams to basically play harder and take it more seriously. But if you want true fan participation, I think you need to create an incentive for that. So do something, you know, through social media, online, that, you know, makes fans have to learn about, you know, Cal City versus San Francisco City FC. You know, like, pick, pick one. You know, brackets are great. I don't follow the NCAA, but every year I do March Madness. And it's completely arbitrary picks on my part, but I always check in every week or after every kind of stage of the tournament to see where I fell with my, with my guesses. So, you know, building something like that, I don't think it hurts. I don't think it would take a lot of startup capital. Uh, and and I think it would be something that a lot of fans would kind of catch on to, and and, and again, really, uh, really help the game for crap. So hopefully that'll happen down the road. No, we you know. Look, we just got it done with that long discussion about the economics of Major League Soccer. You and I have touched on it. We've even touched on the U.S. Open Cup, which yes, absolutely is undervalued and undermarketed, and needs to be pushed a little harder by the people in charge at Soccer House in Chicago. But this, the 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 tapestry uh, of American soccer. Is so, you know, I think that your book, why I love your book so much and the effort behind it, the concept behind it is because people tend to be in their, their little bubble. They tend to have a little myopia, Sean, and they, they see their little corner of the American soccer thing and they miss so much and, and how varied it is, both, you know, culturally, ethnically, historically, uh, the attitudes, how people fall in love with the game. I, I don't know what I'm setting you up for other than to just give me a notion of, you know, some of your favorite elements of, of what you saw when you wrote this book and who you talked to that kind of stood out as a, you know, a, a, 
you know, some kind of uh, um, American soccer uh, center. I don't know if you know if there is one. Yeah, they, they're all over, I guess. And I don't know if I'm a fair person to ask, even though I wrote the book. I'm, a lot of that actually existed within that soccer bubble. So I'm just as myopic as the next fan. But in, in terms of people that I talked to that really stood out, it, it, it would be the names that you would expect. Alexi Lawless, uh, Peter Wilt. Uh, what they're trying to do in India is, is fantastic. Um, the whole uh, notion of trying to start something from scratch, like National FC, talk to Chris Jones, who's the founder and president of that club. They're actually the ones responsible for, for getting a second edition fund. I thought I'd be you know one and done uh, when I finished the last book, and he came up with the idea to offer uh, Love Thy Soccer as a subscriber benefit for members who are signing up for a second season with them. Mm. So, uh, you know, they, they ordered a bunch of books. Uh, I, 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 I got to uh, go through and make updates to it, you know, change the maps, you know, work on some edits there that I didn't have a chance to finish the last go around. And they're, they're growing. And, and I think that that's kind of the most exciting thing, that you can have these fan-inspired efforts like Nashville FC that's trying to become a more national-recognized entity basically started from nothing more than a good idea uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaign and a lot of local community support. And there's another thing Samansky was talking about. Mm. He gets it because he sees that soccer in the U.S., not unlike soccer overseas, in any other country that Americans in the mainstream probably respect about the sport, be it you know, Spanish, La Liga, or English Premier League, they all are attracted to the game, not only for the game, but basically out of a community sense of belonging. And I think that that's one thing that Americans in its diverse markets across the country have in common with the rest of the world. We have unique and, and, and wonderful communities that love the game in the same way, but also bring something different to it. Mm -hmm. So it makes it exciting, it makes it tangible, and it, it gives it a sense of unique ownership between every market that kind of transcends any kind of league uh, parameters or, 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 or league barriers that might previously exist. If, mm -hmm. if MLS were to really go away, I really would like to think that many of these clubs that have been brought up as a result of the league would continue on mm -hmm. and, and last throughout generations because of the strong mm -hmm. local community support that's been built. And I don't think that's anything that uh, any other sport outside of soccer that's been around for half the time and truly claim it the same way. That's a yeah. It's a it's a great I, I mean, it's a great thought that there is that uh, DIY element to soccer in this country. And it, as you said, if MLS disappeared, we'd still have guys putting together teams, trying to make things work. Nashville FC is a good example of that. It's Sean Reed. He is the author of Love Thy Soccer. The second edition, as he said, is available on Amazon. Just go search Love Thy Soccer. Pick up a copy, and it's a it's a fantastic look. At uh, Soccer in America, from a fan's perspective, lots of fantastic interviews. Anybody you've ever heard of in American soccer is probably quoted in this book. Sean did amazing work. Uh, appreciate your time, Sean. It's good to have you on. We'll, we'll definitely need to get you back soon. We'll, maybe we can further flesh out this uh, this U.S. Open Cup issue. Uh, I'd be honored, Jason. I'm going to be following it. So uh, keep up the good work on here. I do congrats on everything else. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Let's take a break. When we come back. We will open up the phone lines. We will take your calls to finish out a week of strong shows. Soccer Morning brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Phone lines now open, 646-832-3909. Jump on in. Friday, free-for-all Friday. I mean, we take calls on anything, anytime. We have a complete open-door policy when it comes to phone calls. I don't make you talk about whatever I'm talking about. I don't make you hit the topic of the day. Sometimes I'll ask you a question, try to get your response. But for the most part, you can call in with whatever you want to call in about, and we'll take your call. But it's especially true on Friday when, frankly, come on, who's actually working right now? Who's actually sitting there at their desk, their cubicle, standing at a de- you know, standing at a customer service center somewhere, or whatever you do for a living? Who's actually doing work? Come on, you're not. So pick up the phone, 646-832-3909. also want to mention... Uh, Producer Trevor has gone ahead and set up a face- Facebook page for the potential Sirius XM FC launch party in New York on May 8th. Is that right? If you're interested in attending, believe we're targeting the football factory in New York on Friday, May 8th. If you are interested in attending, make sure you navigate to that Facebook page, which you uh, will find a link to on our Twitter account, Soccer Morning. Because if you don't RSVP, then we won't think people will come and we will not have the event. So there you go. If you want to have an event, if you guys want to have a beer with me, you want to talk some soccer, you want to watch Houston and FC Dallas and RSL San Jose on that night, both those games happening on Friday night. If you want to do that, you better RSVP. I'll I'll hit the link in my Twitter account as well. Davis JSN. If you don't follow me there, you probably should. It's funny. I make jokes. It's not just jokes. Sometimes I have serious analysis. Serious analysis of soccer, guys. Because if you're not really seriously analyzing soccer, what's the point? What's the point? 646-832-3909. Good discussions with Stefan Zemanski economics of MLS. Good discussion with Sean Reed to kind of, you know, find the silver lining and all of that. Pick out the fan element of it. And this is we we've always been a show that comes from a fan's perspective. I mean, I think that's true for a lot of these shows, but I mean, you know, daily we ask for your input. Daily we're trying to find out where the where the perspective is that says I care about this sport, especially in the United States, especially for you American people out there. All you Yanks, and I'm sorry if you're from the South and you don't like that word. You still, you're a Yankee. You're a Yank. Still are. The people that Sean Reed was talking about, they can put together an Indiegogo campaign and make a club appear out of nowhere and then keep it going for a second year. Now, is that the most stable way to make soccer work in America? Of course not. Of course it isn't. But it does speak to the passion that we have across the country, not in just little pockets, but across the country. I think that there is a better soccer culture than we sometimes we even give ourselves credit for. Now, that doesn't mean we don't live in a bubble and we don't sometimes overrate or forget that there are lots of people out there who either don't like soccer, who aren't interested in soccer, who will look down their nose at soccer. It's fine. I feel as though the element of soccer hate slowly draining out of American society. Slowly. It's a slow leak. It's like a 
giant pool with a pinhole, like a giant rubber, rubber, plastic. I don't know. One of those blow up pools full and just a little pinhole. And it's just slowly leaking out. If you go to a restaurant bar, especially a sports bar, because that's where you're going to ask for it. If you go to a sports bar and ask for soccer, you might, you, you might not get laughed at anymore. <laughs> you might. You might not. Got five MLS games on national television this weekend. Five. That's, that's pretty strong. Got two tonight. Chicago, NYC, FC. Eight o'clock Eastern, Univision Deportes. Colorado, Dallas, 10 o'clock Eastern, Univision Deportes. Then you have New York and LA on ESPN2 on Sunday at 5 o'clock Eastern. So that, you know, the the 1% Derby. Orlando and Toronto on Fox Sports 1 at 7 o'clock. And Seattle, Portland, Cap United at 9.30. Pretty good weekend of televised soccer in America. And I haven't even looked at the, I don't know what the Premier League's bringing us this weekend. Honestly, I don't, I haven't even looked. You guys know I pay attention a little bit to England and Spain and, and you know, that's what, that's what I do here. I have to know what's going on. But I'm certainly more inclined to go American soccer first. Just who I am. Doesn't mean I don't care. Just who I am. Fernando. Fernando, what's going on, man? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, from uh, uh, the Northern Alliance of Timbers Army. Um, I wanted to congratulate you, first of all, Jason, on uh, your success. Success of Soccer Morning uh, on Sirius XM. I happen to have been a subscriber, and so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, keep listening. Sweet. I'm, I'm going to miss watching Sweet. your your mug on my uh, iPad, though. Well, I'll still be doing this version. It'll just happen an oh, hour. Oh, you will? Okay. Yeah, well, it'll just happen an hour earlier, Fernando. So we're going to do it at 9 Eastern, which oh, I know is great. super okay. early for well, you. I'll have to catch it. But it will be. It will won't disrupt my morning schedule. Then. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So, so it, yeah. for anybody who has I, not caught this yet, because I like to explain it. I've done it every day this week. This version of the show, meaning on, on the camera, on YouTube, on World Soccer Talk, streamed live there, on Backheel.com, stream line there, on TuneIn or Stitcher, whatever you can get uh, those, those live feeds. This show was only, it's moving back an hour. So it's moving to nine o'clock Eastern time so that we can get ready to do the serious satellite show at 11 o'clock Eastern till 1 p.m. Eastern. So there you go. So it's instead of, instead of one hour plus of me every day, you're going to get three hours plus of me every day if you subscribe to Sirius as you do, Fernando. Fantastic. Uh, I wanted to weigh in on your guest this morning. Uh, first of all, regarding the uh, survivability of MLS, I think, uh, uh, your uh, first guest made some very good points. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions, of course, like he pointed out. Um, I do think that um, there will always have to be a critical mass of um, uh, fans with money yeah. who are willing to invest their money yeah. on it, the, uh, the teams that they, the team that they love or the sport that they love. And and this is this isn't unique. Um, you know, another. And other um, uh, sports markets, uh, there's, uh, and then, you know, also, too, willingness to allow foreign investors, too. I think that's going to be, um, that's probably going to be a trend. Um, 
in the future. Mm. You know, the world is flat. Yeah, you know, I so, think it's... A, uh, I think I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was thinking, I think it's oh, yeah. an interesting well, comment on the, the state of modern sports, that this is where we are. That And again, I, I think this is an element that American soccer fans sometimes forget. And and I don't know if Stefan Samansky is taking this into account or if it even matters to him from an economic standpoint. But, you know, there was 80 years ago, no television and English teams were, you know, going out there every weekend and playing games and competing against each other and creating passionate fan bases that became generational. And MLS came to be in an era where that's just not possible. The local focus is not possible. You have to be nationally focused. You have to have television. You have to invigorate your league with cash, cash, cash. That, I think, is a, it, yeah, I, it's just a matter of circumstance, Fernando, but it is something to consider. Completely, completely agree. I, see, I, um, I'm old enough to recall uh, watching uh, Toby Charles um, uh, on my um, black-and-white TV with rabbit ears watching three images of um, soccer made in Germany. You know, yeah. I watched three balls and, and uh, you know, look where we are now. Yeah. I, hate, uh, I, I, lived through, I lived through the NASL era. Um, you know, um, I am intimately aware of, of the, um, the highs and lows of the NASL, yeah. particularly in Portland. Um, but I, I want to tie into um, what's happening on Sunday. Got um, to keep it brief for me, is, Fernando. I passion. Yeah, I will. I will. Okay. But we got to, we can't, you know, got to let the fans, uh, your listeners, um, yeah, be aware or re- remember that there's a big match, rivalry match coming up mm-hmm. with uh, Portland and that fishing village from the north. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, this is, I think, how this ties in is the, the, this, the, the passion and the history of this rivalry has to be, um, you know, it's a huge factor in this. I mean, there are, the, the, the fans are multi-generational. Um, they're diverse. And I will say this, you know, this um, applies to both, you know, um, the Portland and that fishing village from the north. But anyway, that's happening uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, row city till I die. All right, there you go. appreciate the call, Fernando. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank right. you for being such a big supporter right. of the program. There goes... Fernando in Washington, a fishing village from the north. Let's go to Scott in Los Angeles. Hey, Scott. Hi, Jason. Big fan of the show. Congrats again on the, the radio show. Thank you. Them. Thank you, sir. Real quick, I, I didn't listen to most of the show, but something I think is relevant. I'm a Galaxy season ticket holder, and last Sunday, or I'm sorry, last Saturday night, my wife and I got to the game at 7.05 right outside of our gate for a 7.30 game. And that gate was closed, and we were rerouted to the front of the stadium and didn't enter the, the parking gate until 8 p.m. for a 7.30 game. Oh, no. And we didn't get to our seats until minute 38 of the game. Now, for all of our listeners, the Galaxy Stadium is a big complex, so there's a tennis stadium attached, and they had a boxing match going on at the same time as the soccer match. Well, that's just bad planning, so Scott. A nightmare. That's just bad planning. What's going on over there at the StubHub Center? Come on, sort it out. Yeah, it, it was... I know the Galaxy aren't, uh, they don't control the parking since they're attached to Cal State Dominguez Hills. But ultimately, if Chris Klein, the staff, can't get his fans, his supporters, his season ticket holders, his consumers yeah. into the match yeah. when they actually show up to the game. I mean, my wife was just so upset and she said, why should we pay for season tickets 
if we can't even get to the inside the stadium yeah. on time when we show up 20 yeah, minutes they, before the game. They, they, so that's a real problem, and they, this is not the first time this has happened. Okay, Scott, you lodge your complaint. I appreciate the phone call. I mean, I think stadium operations are something that that MLS teams have to make sure that they're on top of. You can't, you can't half-ass that stuff. And that, that, that obviously is your consumer base, and you need to keep those people happy. Bill in Queens, what's going on? Hey, uh, Jason, looking forward to uh, coming out on uh, May 8th and see you guys. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be here uh, on, the, on the 8th, you might as well stick around to the 10th and uh, come out to Red Bull Arena and see the uh, huh. first uh, Red Bull New York City game. Well, I do have, I do have you know, family uh, obligations. Uh, I'm a father. Uh, you know, there, there, there's work to be done. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Anything's possible, Bill. Indeed. Anyway, uh, that's actually uh, one of the things I was going to call and uh, ask about. I was going to ask about the uh, Red Bulls Galaxy game on Sunday. Uh, even though there's no Thierry Henry, no uh, Landon Donovan, uh, no Cahill, and no Robbie Keane, it sounds like, uh, should people still be excited for for this game? Even though it doesn't have the size, I think these are still two well, uh, it, very very exciting teams, and it should be uh, a match that people should be excited. To see. Be, be be excited because it's a game between two good soccer teams. Be excited because um, you know the Red Bulls have been playing so well, and you know Bruce Arena is the kind of guy that. Uh, can negate some of what has made the Red Bulls successful. Uh, be excited because it's a young, up-and-coming coach against a grizzled veteran coach. Be excited because there is talent on the field in Jossie Zardis and, and uh, Sasha Kleschen and Bradley Wright Phillips and Lloyd Sam and on the other side, Robbie Rogers. And uh, and, and I'm missing a bunch of people uh, for the Galaxy. There's probably going to be, you know, Jose Villarreal may get on the field at some point. Bradford Jamerson may play. So be excited for those reasons. I don't know about be excited because it's a rivalry. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, good. Hope to see you um, again on the eighth. Looking forward to it. All right, there you go, Bill in Queens. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I want to watch that game. I, I kind of, I do kind of buy into the New York LA dichotomy a bit, but they're, you know, don't force it on us. Let it, let it kind of percolate, and hopefully one day we'll get, you know, we'll get some sort of regular matchup that brings a lot of heat and intensity that cre- creates some of that rivalry. Oh, speaking of rivalry, before I get to Ray in Wisconsin, the the there were comments from Benny Failhaber this week about RSL. He doesn't like RSL. He thinks RSL carries themselves in a in a haughty manner that they think they're better than everybody else. I love that stuff. Keep it coming. Creates those rivalries. Ray, what's up? Hey, uh, first, I just want rivalry. I'm going to go 2-1 uh, uh, Chivas on Sunday. Uh, That's right. T- t- you can take that to the bank, Eric Gomez. <laughs> Super Classico coming up on Sunday. What else is on your mind, Ray? But, but what I would really like to talk about is the economics. It's, it, it's, uh, it, I agree with a lot of things the doctor says. Uh, I agree to everything that he said really a lot with the first time he came on and tried to make valid points. Um, I just think, it, but I do believe American corporations want to spend money in, in soccer. I mean, if you look at Liga MX, every corp, uh, you look at their sponsors and their jerseys, uh, at the two clubs, Top, uh, top club teams. It's amazing how many American companies you see. Uh, Miller Lite is the official beer of uh, Chivas and Guadalajara. All Mexican club team has uh, an American beer company as their sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I would really like, and you know, I live in Wisconsin, and Chivas came here and played in front of thirty thousand fans. Uh, and we're six hours away from the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> what does that have to do? What does that have to do with anything? I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, in my personal opinion, that uh, that uh, if there was some way that uh, these uh, entities could combine in uh, featuring uh, the windfall of economic support, you know, and I've been to many USA games, and I've been to many Mexico games, and like, the, it's just the difference in the uh, advertisement. Uh, uh, alone on American companies, yeah. so I do believe the money's out there. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, and you're seeing MLS grab some corporate sponsors. Now, those may not be massive deals that are going to to change the game for MLS, but they are bringing in pretty good corporate dollars. Well, you were on you were on Twitter bugging me to ask Samansky about MLS and, and League MX combining, weren't you? Right. I don't. Right, I, don't right, I just. Yep. Uh, I don't. But, I don't. You know, it, I don't see it ever happening, Ray. I just don't ever see it happening. There's too, there's, there are too many reasons for it not to, too many obstacles to get over, too many entrenched parties with their little provinces. I don't think that that's going to happen. But, but, but what about combining in a unique tournament that just features these teams? Well, that, that, that that's what, uh, that's what, uh, Super Liga was supposed to be. And it, uh, it came and went and it didn't get enough attention. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we can revive something like that. Maybe there's some room, but again, you're you're talking about a limited. I got to go, Ray. But they're talking about a limited schedule. There's not enough room. These teams are flying. They're 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 forcing in friendlies. Let's not forget that they're doing that as well. David in Arizona, what's up? Hey, I thought the first couple of years, by the way, of Super League were awesome. Uh, I loved it. But anyway, uh, I just want to talk about Concacaf, Jason. And unfortunately, I've missed the show today. It sounds like. He had some sort of interesting guest, then, so I look forward to listening to the podcast. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a bit Pollyannish, but I think it's time for CONCACAF to grow up. I mean, seriously, obviously the first important thing is, is and I know that there's economic things involved here, but, man, they've got to get the Gold Cup out of America every two years. I mean, they've got to move it around. They've mm. got to figure out a way to do it. I'm sick of the excuses. And then the, the, the second thing that's got to be done, and this ties into the Montreal uh, Group America thing, is, man, I mean, Jeffrey Webb, he, he was at the game. They showed him a couple times on, on this past broadcast. You know, he has got to, to, to do something about some of the crap that was going on in that stadium. I know. I know. You know, the lasers, uh, the, the players pushing people around, knowing that they can intimidate the referee yeah. uh, in, in front of such a massive crowd. He, they've got to go to the competition committee, and they've got to make it public. They're going to do something about this. And it's not just in Mexico. It happens in Costa Rica. It happens in Honduras. It happens in the U.S. from time to time. Mm-hmm. They've got to do something about this stuff. So, so it appears that you're not just going to kowtow to the big club well, that, that that's big what, money like Club but, America. But that's what, that, that's what that they do. And that you're going to have legitimate competition. That, the rules and standards. Uh, David, that, that's what's happening here. I, I, I find it almost impossible to believe that Jeffrey Webb is going to bite the hands that feeds him. And the, the hand that feeds him is U.S. soccer, the FMF, to a lesser extent, uh, Costa Rican Federation. I mean, he's not going to go after the big boys. And you're right, something needs to be done. And look, we've seen UEFA close doors for games in Italy and certainly in Eastern Europe and, and some of these things when, when bad things happen. Now, is a laser in the eye of um, you know of Evan Bush the same level as violence in the stands? Of course it's not. But find a way, be creative, find a way to to try to take tackle some of these things. And I'm going to say this. i got to go, David. Thanks for the call. I have become less and less impressed with Jeffrey Webb 
over the last couple of years. In the outset, I said, okay, great. We flushed out Jack Warner. CONCACAF Jack has moved on. He's no longer even attached to, to world football. Let's, uh, let's see what Jeffrey Webb is all about. And I just, I don't know if I've seen enough aggressiveness on his part. Now, have they cleaned up the accounts? It seems like they have. It seems like they've cleaned up some of that mess that Chuck Blazer and Jack Warner oversaw. But when it comes to things like this most recent Congress in the Bahamas, where Jeffrey Webb has said, after the block of CONCACAF voters, mostly those small islands who have their hands out and FIFA's willing to fill them up, Seb Blatter's willing to fill them up, after that happened, and Jeffrey Webb says, this shows that we're backing Seb Blatter, why? Why? Explain to us how that is going to change the status quo. Robert in L.A., what's up? Hey, good morning, Jason. Uh, first of all, congratulations on Oryx's success on uh, the Series XM. Appreciate it, man. Hey, I wanted to talk about, uh, I know this is your favorite topic, and I know you haven't talked about it for a while, but it's, uh, you know, it's wearing them, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, jerseys. You know, it's, uh, if the two teams aren't playing, but they're wearing a foreign jersey. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but, uh, in, uh, the NHL, NHL hockey, the Tampa Bay are, they're enforcing a dress code and only laying their home jerseys in to create like a home environment. Sure. And I would like something similar to this, but not full on, like, like denying people because I'm from, uh, I go LA Galaxy and I'm just preparing myself for the oncoming storm of <laughs> Liverpool jerseys. Oh, it's going to happen here this summer. Oh my God. There are going to be so many Liverpool jerseys. You're going to hate it so much. You're hate yeah. It so especially, much. especially there's this gentleman, uh, near me who wears a, Manchester United jersey. We're fan this story one specifically. Well, and you know, I'm just, I just want to see his reaction of him cheering on Steven Gerrard. Uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. And, and Robert, you know, okay, for those of you, for, for people who don't know, and I haven't laid out this, this, uh, this theory in a very long time on this show, but for those of you who don't know, I have a thing in which I don't think it's proper for people to be wearing a third club's jersey to a match between two teams. I just don't, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know why you would do it. You're there to, you're either there to support one of the two teams or you're a neutral and you shouldn't wear anything. Uh, you know, not, well, you should wear clothes, but you shouldn't wear a, a jersey of one of the team, uh, of a team that's not involved in the game. Although, and I'm not making an exception here, I get the logic of wearing the Liverpool jersey to the LA Galaxy game if Gerard's on the field. I get the logic of wearing the Terry Henry jersey to the Red Bull game when he's on the field, um, you know, and even the red Manchester United, I mean, maybe you stop, you get that out of the rotation after Beckham leaves, but I kind of get that too. I just, I, I mean, I just think that you should be committed and you should be wearing your, you should be either support again, supporting one of the teams involved or, you know, go to bumpy pitch or go to, uh, go to LBF, uh, Liberty football, yeah. or go to, you know, go to, to, um, uh, how, uh, how, how are you? Who are your designs? Excuse me. And pick up a soccer t-shirt and rock that instead. Sorry. Go ahead, Robert. Oh, no, I'm just uh, agreeing with you, Jason. Uh, but uh, I'm just, uh, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to, but uh, thank you for taking my call and uh, congratulations it. on all your success. I appreciate it. Robert in LA talking jerseys. That is a, that is one of my pet peeve issues. I, I just, I can't abide by the third party jersey. And this goes for those summer friendlies too. I know you're excited that Chelsea and Liverpool are coming to play a friendly in Baltimore. You don't need to wear your Manchester United jersey. I'm I'm sorry, you just don't. It's not Comic Con, it's a soccer match. Washington in New York. I totally agree with you, man. You hit the nail on the head. I hate <laughs> that. I hate when I go to a match and I see a third party jersey in the stands. I hate that. Yeah. 
Man, so, so I'm with you with that. Anyway, um, I wanted to talk about the your, your soconomics guest, and one of the things that I really think that he missed out on, or one of the uh, the resources, because I understand, I'm not naive. I know that Major League Soccer is a business. I know that there's money involved, and if you continue to bleed money, you know things are going to go awry. But the one thing that I don't think that he counts on. Um, because it's not tangible, is the passion of the fans um, well, and he, he did, how that look, passion will drive uh, the economics. To be, to One be perfect fair, example is Washington. I've never had... I've never had a uh, serious account, and because your show's going on there, and I love your show, I'm going to get a serious account, that's cool. and that's, that's cool. going to generate profit for a serious, you know, little by little, the subscription. So that's yeah. just one small example, but I truly believe that the passion for the fans will drive the he, economy. He did, he did identify that. I mean, he talked about his hometown, well, his hometown team, his adopted hometown team, Detroit City or whatever that's up the road from, from Ann Arbor. He, he, is, he, is, he identified the passion as being interesting and unique and he loves it and, he, and he's and he's loving to see some of the things that are happening around american soccer i think he's you know the the passion can only so, can only go so far when the the passion isn't driving the dollars the people that are in control of the dollars are pulling them out of their own pockets or they're counting on the team to generate revenue from the passion but that's still not there yet to make this league one of the best in the world by 2022. Again, I'm, I'm just, I right. can't. And, 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 and I see that. And I also, you know, I, he made some good points. I agree with him. I agree that TV revenue is a huge deal. And I agree that when you make a 10-year deal and uh, your, your, your lease or your deal isn't up until 2023, there's no way you're going to make it by 2022. I agree with that. But, you know. No. Well, I appreciate the All phone right. call, Washington. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Good stuff to close out the week. Washington up in NYC. Let's go ahead. Wrap up this program. Thank you very much to Stefan Szymanski for his appearance on the program. Sean Reed, author of Love Thy Soccer, a f- uh, the, f- the fan rewrites the book on American, on the American game. Go check that out. Pick that up at Amazon.com. The blue version is the second edition. I'm glad that Sean was able to get that out. Fantastic stuff. Grassroots element pushing that. Uh, we will be back on Monday. Big show on Monday. I'm sure you've got that all that nationally televised MLS action. You've got Premier League games around the world make sure you're back here to talk about it all coming up next week go to 3nlfc.com to buy your t-shirt that's where you that's what you should wear to the game by the way 3nlfc.com get a soccer morning t-shirt wear that to the soccer match go to uh go to uh, our facebook page soccer morning find the link for the rsvp to the event in new york city on may 8th the link is on our Twitter account as well, Soccer Morning. You should already be following Soccer Morning. If you're not what the hell is wrong with you, go do that right now. And then you can go to backheel.com slash store and buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. And if you need another t-shirt to mix into your rotation, we got a bunch over there as well. There's a Chuck Blazer t-shirt that I own that I love. I need to pick up another one. I think there's a, the Don Juan of Saigon is over there. Fantastic stuff. The Don and Don Garber image. What else am I missing? A couple of other good designs. Go check that out. Backheel.com slash store. All right. I think that's it. I think we're out of here. I think we'll be back on Monday. I'll talk to you guys then. Enjoy your soccer. Bye.